0: If you were to walk along the shores of Southern Calderon in the late hours of the night, when the full moon shines overhead and the fog hangs heavy on the air, you may see a ship gliding silently through the water. Its sails are faintly incandescent in the moonlight, just bright enough to discern through the curtains of mist that dance above the water. It rejects all attempts to hail it, never responding to calls from the shore nor drawing close enough to see its crew clearly. If you're fortunate, it will fade back into the darkness of night. If you're unfortunate, well, it depends on what kind of story you're living in. Every village on every island, in the archipelago that extends beyond Keldroon's southern shore, has a story about this mysterious ship, all rooted more in folklore than reality. Each legend follows a similar formula, an unnatural ship manned by an inhuman crew sailing silently through the night. Depending on the telling, you may hear from bards in the northern islands, or even in Keldarun proper, that the ship is an elven vessel commanded by the chieftain of the mythical land of Tir Olek across the eastern sea. The farther south you travel, the more likely you are to hear that it is captained by the Prince of the Underworld. And crewed by the spirits of sailors who drowned and sunk beneath the waves, eternally ferrying the dead from the living world to the afterlife that awaits them. There are countless variations of the tale, with a multitude of contradictory details. But the broad strokes remain consistent. In every telling, the ship is accompanied by a dense, eerie fog that shrouds its movements and cloaks the vessel in an air of secrecy. Skeptics often take issue with this. Of course this mysterious ship is surrounded by fog that makes it impossible to say whether it truly exists or not, creating fertile ground for every local drunkard to bolster their reputation by creating their own version of the tale. Perhaps some of the storytellers actually believed that they had seen the ship. The eye has a way of playing tricks on the mind when the hour is late, and shapes coalesce and disperse in the roiling fog that so often obscures the eastern sea. Regardless of whether the local legends stem from calculated fiction or earnest misunderstanding, the result is the same. Tall tales of a ghost ship that acts as an ill omen for all whom it passes by. However, the tendency to associate the supposed appearance of this supernatural craft with bad tidings may have some grounding in reality. Although the archipelago of Keldrun is farther south than the Shialti typically fare, Incursions by the savage Northmen were far from unheard of. Every village, town, and temple that lies along the coast of Keldrune lives in fear of the moment when a long ship's sails appear on the horizon, bringing with it a warband of reavers set upon plundering the poorly defended settlements. Perhaps, some non-believers rationalize, the stories of ferry ships drifting through the mist were simply misinterpretations of a much more tangible threat. Should a homestead be razed to the ground by Xialti raiders in the dead of night, and its inhabitants enslaved and dragged back to the raiders' homeland in the north, it would be easy to instead say they were taken by the Fair Folk. It's no better or worse than the truth. It is simply farther removed from reality, and there is a twisted comfort in that belief. Denial is a powerful tool. Regardless of the veracity of any given story, it's undeniable that the legend of ferry ships carried to southern shores in ominous banks of fog has taken root in the collective conscience of the archipelago's denizens. It has been retold countless times in countless forms, and, whether it's fact or fiction, every settlement is wary of ships passing by in the night. Sometimes, however, Events transpire that lend a certain credence to the tales. Sometimes, something happens that cannot be denied, but at the same time cannot be explained. Something that implies there may be a small kernel of truth buried deep within a legend. Welcome to a world very much like our own, but with a crucial difference. In this world, folklore is rooted in stark reality. My name is John Cornett and I'll be guiding you through stories of strange events, close encounters, political conflicts, and tragic history, all set in a unique world that blends reality and mythology. This is The Wayfarer's Compendium. If you were to sail along the archipelago of Keldrum, passing by the green pastures of Arana and the rocky spires of High Skellach, you would eventually find yourself on the shores of Gorla. The island is in the shape of a crescent moon, a long strip of verdant highlands where sheep and cattle graze, that sharply transitions to rocky cliffs, plummeting into the sea. Sheltered coves dot its perimeter, where fishermen ply their trade in small kurras that bob up and down on the waves like gulls at rest. Many of these natural harbors, such as the one in our tale, are uninhabited. That's not to say that it's empty. A cluster of rough stone buildings stand above the high tide park, with strong, stout walls and thatched roofs long since rotted away by the tang of briny mist in the air. An overgrown path leads out of the tiny village, carving a meandering walkway upward through the cliffs and towards the open fields above. The village has no name, or at least none within living memory. It would be understandable for you to wonder why the village was abandoned and left to crumble at the hands of the elements. Was there some terrible disaster? An attack by raiders? Perhaps a plague that extinguished the lives that once existed there? The waters of the harbor are still rich with fish, and the dock still waits patiently for a boat to return to its protective embrace. It was not a famine that had driven away the family that once called this place home. The houses give no clues regarding their inhabitants' fates. No skeletons lie in quiet repose within the walls, nor are there any signs of fire or bloodshed. As so often happens in the study of history were forced to turn to an unreliable source to seek whatever truth may be found. As the story goes, the matriarch of the family that once lived in that isolated harbor was a wise woman. She had learned all manner of remedies and cures for ailments of the flesh, and new rituals and exorcisms for ailments of the spirit. From all across the island of Gorla, people would make the exhausting journey to her family's home for help with whatever problems afflicted them. One of these individuals, supposedly, was a shepherd named Arendtun. Arendtun lived among the grassy hills that lay inland. He had fallen ill, taken out of sorts by an evil spirit that racked his body and sapped his strength. He resolved to make his way to the Wise Woman at once, before his illness could worsen. The trip would only become more burdensome the longer he waited. He took with him a lamb for bartering, and set out towards the western coast. It took him fully a day to reach his destination, and he reached the cliffs as the sun rose on the second morning. The fog was impossibly dense, and the world was a haze of white as he carefully descended the treacherous pathway towards the harbour. He stumbled and caught himself and stumbled again, leading the lamb down the safest path he could find until, eventually, he reached solid ground once more. The air was cold. Sheets of mist danced slowly in the coastal breeze as he called out, hailing the village. But there was no response. The houses loomed out of the haze as he approached the settlement shivering, sick, and tired. The silence felt oppressive. The only sound to be heard was the muted crash of waves gently lapping against the rocky shore. He went from house to house, knocking on each door, and receiving silence as his only reply. His nerves grew more and more taut with each passing minute until, at his wit's end, he opened one of the doors and let himself inside the building nothing seemed out of place. There were no signs of violence, nor had anything been removed. The ashes in the hearth were fresh, and the broth that had been simmering in a ceramic cauldron was still faintly warm. The only thing missing was the house's resident, a fact that gnawed at Arendtun's mind as he made his way to the next house. Again, it was empty. From house to house, the shepherd went finding at every stop, tasks half-finished. The salty reek of half-cleaned fish pervaded one, the fisherman's knife still laying atop the butcher block. In another, a spinning wheel sat waiting for its owner to return and finish winding a ball of wool into yarn. Wooden children's toys lay unattended upon the floor. Outside, the dock was empty. The fishermen's boats were notably absent. It was as if the village's inhabitants had simply disappeared. All at once, Arenton's fears overcame him, and he fled, bringing the story of the abandoned village back with him to the rest of the island. Some say the tipping point that sent the shepherd fleeing back to the safety of the highlands was the faint glimpse he caught of luminous white sails approaching through the mist. It's questionable whether the ship's presence was truly part of Arendtun's experience, or if it had simply been added as an embellishment after the fact. But it made little difference in the end. The village was abandoned, while the fog and the legendary ship that it hid gained another fable about the dangers it posed. Stories have a tendency to be reformed with each telling gaining and losing details with startling frequency until they bear only the faintest resemblance to reality, if, in fact, they didn't originate as fiction in the first place. The tale of Serla and Oren is one of those stories. To understand this legend, we must begin with another legend. How humanity drove the Fair Folk away from Keldrum. The Tan de Eru, or the Elves, as they're often called, lived on Kelderun long before mortal men arrived to claim the island for their own. When humanity did arrive, a war ensued. A war that the human settlers won. They struck a bargain with their defeated foes. The Tan de Eru would dwell below the earth, while humanity would claim the surface world for themselves. Not all of the Tonda Eru agreed to this, and many of them turned to the sea and sought out lands beyond Keldrum. Among them was Kirta the Shipwright, who sailed east to a land known as Tir Olek and built a great kingdom there. Serla was the Shipwright's daughter. She built for herself a beautiful vessel of golden wood and silver sails that carried her all throughout the tumultuous eastern sea and north. To the frigid rime, and back to her father's haven in Tyr Olek. Only elven craft, according to the myths, could safely make the voyage to the strange, enchanted lands they had civilized. Tyr Olek was a paradise. The land was eternally sun drenched and warm, the trees in the orchards heavy laden with fruit at all times of the year, and the forests teemed with wild game ripe for the hunting. The evening air rang with music, and ale flowed like water, or so the myths claim. Although mortal men could not sail to Tir-Olek under their own power, that was not to say that there were no humans who dwelled there. Eventually, the time came for Serla to wed, and her father bid her to choose a worthy husband for herself. She sailed from realm to realm, considering the great warriors and artisans of the Tan before turning her attention towards Keldrún, One man caught her eye, the greatest warrior alive according to some admittedly biased tellings. It is, after all, practically a tradition to claim that every warrior from the storyteller's tribe was the greatest warrior alive. Greatest or not, everyone agrees that the Fian Oren gained the favor of the shipwright's daughter. He was the son of a wealthy king in the isle's southernmost territory, trained in the magical arts of the bards, and could land a thrown spear on a mark at 300 paces. His exploits, and those of his father before him, are captured in other, similarly grandiose tales. And perhaps we will visit them one day. But the important fact was that Serla asked him to join her, and sail back to Tyr Olek where they may be wed. The young warrior agreed. It was a great honor to be betrothed to a princess of the Fair Folk, after all, and together they crossed the Eastern Sea in Serla's golden ship. Her father received them with a magnificent festival to celebrate their union. All of his subjects assembled under his banners to drink to the newly wedded princess's health, and there was great joy throughout Tir Oleg. Oren stayed there with his wife for many years, feasting in his father-in-law's great hall, and hunting the wild beasts that roamed the forests. Life was peaceful and idyllic, filled with revelry and poetry, and both Oren and Serla were happy. The warrior couldn't say how long he had dwelled there. The seasons all blended together on that paradisical island, where it was always warm and cloudless. Eventually, however, the Fian grew homesick. He longed to see once more the distant green fields of Khaldrun, to walk along its shores, and to see the family he had left behind. He asked his wife to grant him use of her golden ship that he might sail back across the Eastern Sea, but she grew distraught and refused his request. He was saddened by this apparent betrayal, but he hardened his resolve and asked again. Again, she refused. The happiness they had shared waned and diminished, as he implored her again and again, until eventually, Serla relented. She gave her husband her golden ship with its silver sails, on one condition. He may sail westward and visit his homeland, but under no circumstances should he step foot on the soil of Keldrun. Orin accepted her terms. Joyfully, he took to the waves and voyaged westward, towards what was once his home. The vessel glided along the waves before a powerful breeze, its prow cutting gracefully through the water towards the far-off shores of Keldrun. As he approached the island, he wondered how his family had fared in his absence, what they thought of his new course, and what his legacy had become in the years since he left. His family's castle came into view on the horizon, standing proudly on a cliff overlooking the southern shore. As Oren looked over his ancestral home, his thoughts clouded with worry. There were no warriors overlooking the towering wooden ramparts. Ivy covered the outer walls, and weeds had reclaimed the paths leading up the hill. The only signs of human life were a handful of farmers laboring in the nearby fields the golden ship approached the rocky shore. In his alarm at the terrible state he had found his family's holdings in, Oren disregarded his wife's singular commandment and leapt overboard, determined to learn what had happened to his once great tribe. No sooner did the heel of his boot touch the soil of Kalarun, however, than the ages he had spent in the timeless paradise of Tir Oleg began to catch up to him. Unbeknownst to him, in the warmth of that never-ending summer that shone upon the Elven Isle, he had dwelled there for three hundred years. Within the span of a few dozen heartbeats, he had aged from a young warrior in the prime of his life to an elderly man. He rushed inland as the years piled up, his run becoming a limp and his back bending under the weight of time. As the story goes... He told his tale to the farmers, sowing the fields nearby, before crumbling to dust. A neat little way to add some semblance of plausibility to the obviously mythical tale. How else would it be known in Keldrun if he had perished before relaying it? Nevertheless, the grave marker that adorns the site of Oren's supposed death, more likely the marker of some unknown warrior's resting place, stands to this day a towering cairn of stones, waiting patiently through the ages next to the ruins of an ancient fortress of earth and stone. Ivy winds its way up the pile of rocks, guiding rain down in dark rivulets along the cracks of each boulder. In nearby villages where this story is told, they say that if you walk along that coast on a foggy, moonlit night, You may see a glimpse of silver sails across the water as the daughter of the sea visits her lover's grave. If you enjoy The Wayfarer's Compendium, the best way to support the podcast is to share it with your friends. Thank you for listening.